Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It's so good to have each of you. Yeah, come on in, take a seat. Goodness. Goodness. Well, if you are new with us this morning, I invite you, uh, as Lexi said, to take note of that little card that's on your seat. All right, it's our Connect card. I'd love to get to know you. Uh, Maybe you're watching online and just happen to, to step in. Uh, stick with us, all right? Uh, let us know maybe in the, in the comments who you are. Uh, I'd be I'd love to get to know you. Um, but we are in week four of a series on the book of Colossians, which is a beautiful book. It is a letter to the church in Col- Colossae, all right? It's a letter to the Colossian church, and so I'm excited to dive into it. It was written by Paul. We've been in deep, and so if you uh, if the Lord speaks to you in this message, I encourage you to go back online and listen to one, two, and three, all right? Because we're only in the last half of chapter two, so you missed some good meat in chapter one, uh, and, and I'm excited. By the way, my name is Greg McKinney. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, I'm the lead pastor, my wife and I, of Glory Church, and um, I'm excited. We have had a crazy week celebrating two birthdays this past week in my family. We have four little kids, one of them just turned six. My wife just turned, had a birthday. I won't tell you her age. She just turned something. Uh, and it was a long week. We, one of our pipes messed up in the new building, and there was just poop all in the basement. I had to squeegee it. And it was a, man, it was a week. Let me just tell you, it was a week. Um, but I'm excited because you won't see me for two weeks because on Saturday, Kate and I are flying to Scotland and England for our 10-year anniversary, all right? So I'm not going to be here. Uh, Brandon, one of our uh, men in our church, is going to be taking the lead next Sunday uh, on chapter 3, uh, half of it, the first half of chapter 3, and then Dalton, our kids and small group director, will be finishing off chapter three the next week, and then it'll be me again, but maybe you'll be like, uh, keep being gone. These, these guys are good, um, and I, I'm excited, though. I'm excited to get away, so follow us on social media. I'd love to share the journey with you. Um, we're going to some pretty cool places, and Kate somehow found a, like a photographer through Instagram, and we're taking 10-year anniversary pictures, and I'm excited for that. Um, so I don't know what I'm wearing for that, but she does. Uh, but I'm excited. As I said, voices. You'll hear in this, um, not the word voice, but you will hear in this section a whole lot of spoken things. Things that are spoken um, by, uh, by people, authority figures, things that are demanded, commands, demands, uh, insisting. All of those kinds of words will be found throughout this section. And every single time, I need you to realize that that is an active voice doing those things. Okay? I mean, that's all. Like, anytime you hear, don't listen to the commands of the world, realize that, like, the world speaks its opinions often. Active voice that Paul is writing against in the section, and I'm really excited. And unlike we've done in the past, I'm reading 
all of it, all right? We're not gonna, we're not gonna pause or break it up or I'm not gonna like dive into it section by section. I'm reading all of it and then we're gonna jump back to the beginning of it. So I, I'm excited. Open up to chapter two of Colossians and we're starting in verse 13. And you'll realize I'm actually gonna end in the first verse of chapter three. Sorry, Brandon, it's just I had to. Like, uh, So he'll hit on chapter three all of it next week, but I'm sort of just gonna set him up to to do really well, all right? I, I'm excited. Um, so it says this. Paul says, when you were dead in the trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all of our trespasses, when he erased the record that stood against us with all of its legal demands, and he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. Now, this is beautiful. Like, I, I, I am so excited. To dive into it. He made you alive with him. He took that record and erased it. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed every authority that could speak against you, and he triumphed over them. It continues. So, therefore, do not let anyone condemn you, accuse you, speak falsely against you. It might have not have been falsely before, but now in Christ, it is a false condemnation. In you, in matters of food, in drink, or in observing festivals, in new moons, or in Sabbaths, those things are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the, the, the light is shining on the object, but we are focusing often on the shadow, thinking that that is enough. And so we chase the shadow and are missing the beauty of Christ. I wonder how many times you chase shadows in life because it promises something and you're just not looking at Christ. The substance is Christ. Stop caring about what you eat or, 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 or what, what practice you should or shouldn't do. Take a step up and look at Christ. And so he continues. The substance belongs to Christ, so do not let anyone disqualify you. That word disqualify literally is saying speak that you can't take the prize. So don't let people say or, or proclaim that, that you can't take the prize. What is the prize? Christ. When Paul says, like, I, I strive that I may win the prize, which is Christ, the heavenward, the glory of God. Don't let anyone disqualify you insisting on self-abasement and the worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without a cause by a human way of thinking. And you're like, what is all of these things? Self-abasement, the worship of angels, they really believed, and I'll, I'll tell you, they really believed that they weren't good enough to talk to God. Anyone else believe that at times? They really believed they were not good enough to talk to God, so they must speak to an angel on behalf of the Father to intercede for them. So is this, if you praise the angel, he may transcend that praise to God. Because you're not good enough. And so is this humble, like, right, is humility that took, went all the way around into pride. Anyone else ever experienced that at times where you just think you're so humble, but really in your so humble, you're actually only thinking about yourself, which is the pit of pride. 
oh, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't really get over. Like, true humility is looking at God and how small we are. But it's this false humility. I can't speak to him, so I have to speak to this other. Or dwelling on visions, going to those prophetic people. Just give me what I should do. What should I do? Give me a vision, an understanding of what I should do next. Why? Because deep down you fear that you can't talk to the Father yourself. And so this is what he's doing. He, he, don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on those things, being puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body you and I are nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews. It grows with the growth that is from God, and he continues. So if with Christ, sorry, the next one, sorry. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, if you died, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? If you died, why do you live that way? Why do you still submit to the regulations, what people are speaking over you? Do not handle this or do not taste that or do not touch that or do not wear this or do not go there or do not do that or that. All of these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. He continues, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, but they promote self-imposed Piety, piousness, humility, that's false, and a severe treatment of the body. Honestly, how often does our world say this is what beauty is? So self-treat, like if you want dignity and honor, you need to treat your body this way so that you can have it. It promotes, it looks wise, but it says they have no value in checking self-indulgent. Maybe your, your version says they serve only to indulge the flesh. In other words, they're not, they're not feeding the spirit. All of those things are not feeding your spirit. They're actually feeding your flesh. They're actually keeping you away from understanding the beauty of the gospel. And then he starts chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you're with us, right, we read that whole thing and you're like, I'm out. We're coming back to here. If you notice, these words were, were in here. Voices that uh, condemn you were in there, right? Why are you letting people condemn you is what he's saying. Disqualify you, right? That was a part of it. Voices that demand things of you. Voices that command you. And voices that teach you. This morning, I'm actively fighting against these voices in the room because already as I'm talking, um, some of you are out of the room. Because voices will always do this, condemn you. You don't fit in here. Look around the room. There's people that don't look like you. You don't have a place here. Disqualify you. You remember what you did? You can't have the prize of Christ. You have to, uh, you need to go to the pastor afterwards and ask him to pray for you so that you can overcome this. They demand things of you. Well, if you would just actually take notes, maybe you could remember things. 
They demand that if you would just do this, your marriage would be better. They command you. They teach you. But those voices are nothing in comparison to when Jesus says in the boat to the storm, peace, be still. Because in an instance, peace, storm ceased. That's where power is. The voice of Jesus, it's interesting. The voices are all around. They distract, they shame, they accuse, they guilt. Some of you experience guilt this week. They remind you of past things. They assume, they belittle, they make you start assuming. They demean you, they enlist fear in you, and you begin spiraling in them. Anyone else like me? Like, anyone else spiral in these things, these voices? Yes. Anyone struggle at sleeping because of some of these thoughts? Yeah, yeah, these are real. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) Many times, though they're running thoughts in our own head, like the enemy doesn't have to even speak them anymore because he can say one word and we're the one running the thought now, right? We're the, run, we're the one condemning ourselves already. We're the one disqualifying us instantly. We're the one demanding things of us instantly. Like some of you demand way too much of yourself. Others of you, you're not even, you're, you're not even getting up to demand anything. It's so the opposite, right? It, we do these things all the time, and as we carry them, we feel like, improvements. We have to make fixes. And and I wrote this down. As we carry these demands and the lackings, they actually retrain us to doubt Christ's authority. They really do. They retrain you to doubt Christ's authority. Because as you give value to another person, The ability to then rate your value, to to command things of you, or to teach you how to be this or how to be better. As we we desire to please others, we, we actually allow them or our idea of them, what they want from us, to begin pulling us. And they retrain us to follow them instead of Christ. The yoke gets put on. I used to tell high school students this all the time, like when I was a youth pastor, like the one that you're trying to measure up to, the one that you're trying to please or appeal to or look like, they begin, the enemy begins strapping a rein around you and you start following their every move. And you forget the authority of Christ that has already claimed enough. He's already claimed it. And so this is all around where instantly you begin to believe that things are more powerful than him. This addiction is more powerful than Jesus. This struggle in my marriage is more powerful than Jesus. This issue in my home is more powerful than Jesus. And and we would never say that, right? But our actions show it. Because when it says react, we react. When it says, be angry, we get angry. When it says, fight for the place, we fight for the place. We show who's in authority in those areas of our heart. They don't let anyone condemn you, he says. We doubt Christ's authority, and literally we begin to um, struggle in that belief 
of his lordship. But if you remember, I said all of this so that you know the problem to go back to the beginning. If you remember, now we're going to dive into the hope. If you could put that, that next slide up. He says, hey, this is the authority of the son. When you were dead in the trespasses, in your sins, God made you alive with him. Do you want to know who has the authority? The one who can actually forgive. And he made you alive when he forgave you of your sins. And when he took that record that was against you, I mean, anyone else, just a little aside, anyone else have like parts of your life that would be a poor opportunity to take a biography of you? Anyone? Like, anyone else have just aspects of your life that would just be a poor opportunity if like a videography team just wanted to follow you around and make a documentary of your life? Like, I would be like, can we do a different part? Anyone else have parts of your life that would make for a bad display of you? Anyone? The record that stood against you was put on the cross. This is the beautiful thing. Are you ready? The record that stood against you, that anyone could say trash, criminal, messed up, uh, all those other words, uh, dirty, vile, angry, Anyone else could, I, used, I was told that I had an anger problem as a kid, and I'm like, I'm not angry, right? But those words, like, hit you. All of those things that claimed your identity, they were records against you. And they were put on the cross. Now, what I love about this is I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I don't read that there was any kind of legal document hung on the cross. Anyone else? Like, I don't read that. But what I do find hung on the cross was a man. So quite literally, if I can under... Okay, there's some distractions. I need to... uh, Listen, quite literally, the sins that were recorded against you were made to be Jesus on the cross. So instantly, when someone could say liar to me, in a moment I gave my life to Christ, they look at him And they say, liar to Jesus. Because of all the things that stood against me, he took on him. And on the cross, blasphemer. On the cross, a murderer. On the cross, every sin that was ever paved against us, every record with its legal demands, demanding for you to do more, be more, serve time, or or fix yourself, or blah, blah, blah. Whatever it demanded. It was nailed to the cross and then triumphed over it. Every authority had to look to Jesus. Does this make sense? Like every authority that now says that makes anyone ever been in the the, the prison system, you know that on your way out of prison, every authority is still looking at you. But that record that was against us is on Christ. Now every, what? Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Now every authority, every ruler has to look at Christ because he bears the sin. That's the beauty of what this is. So the authority that Christ has is powerful because then three days later, right, he triumphed over them. And this is why Paul says, therefore, because of that, and I need you to, because of that, stop letting people condemn you because they have no authority to do so. 
because Christ has already been condemned. Don't let people demand things of you because they already demanded it of Christ and he paid it. Stop letting people disqualify you or take the price. Like, it's already been done. So stop letting people insist that you have to do something because Christ already died. It's already happened. Like, this is the beauty of what he's saying. Stop forgetting the authority of the son as he hung for everything that the world is demanding of you, is speaking unto you. Some of you, you got to realize that those minds lies that you have, saying to disqualify, they don't have an authority to speak against you anymore. Does that make sense? You have to act, you don't have authority to speak that anymore. Some of you have to stop letting the world demand things of you because there's the ground that we walk, they don't have the authority to claim. Like, we can't let these things demean us because on the shoulders of Christ were every bit of those things. And three days later, they were all gone, defeated, period. This is why Paul then like turns the corner and says this, hey, if you have died to the natural world, that next slide, if you've died to the natural world, why do you still act, live, walk as if you still belong to it? Those things that they speak, they weigh heavily on the world, but they don't weigh on the kingdom. No part. And that's why he says, why do you do it? And honestly, it's because at moments we forget our connection to the the son who died, right? Like we, we forget that our sin was connected to Christ and now we are forever connected with Christ as he defeated that sin. We forget our connection with Christ. And in fact, like if I can just tell you this, like the world will always try, the enemy will always try, our lies, the flesh will always try to disconnect our understanding of who we are from our understanding of the reality of Jesus. Literally. Every lie will always try to disconnect your understanding of who you are and the reality of Jesus. Think about the two heresies that were going on, Gnosticism, uh, Judaism, like these heresies that were going on in the day, if you remember from week one, they were trying to give an understanding of God that disconnected man from God. And so mankind had to fight, we had to strive, we had to do more so that we could be elevated to be with God. All of these ideas or thoughts or words, they literally disconnect Christ in us. Does that make sense? But we have been made right. It's interesting. When I was finishing my education, uh, when I was finishing my education, I had a senior thesis. And uh, I chose in my senior thesis to write and research shame. Um, And I learned really quickly that shame is like, uh, you remember when you were in fourth and fifth grade and there were those puberty classes and maybe you had to like watch a documentary or you had to watch something and they gave you deodorant. Anyone else? My school gave me deodorant. And how awkward it was to hear about puberty. We all dealt it, dealt with it. We all were going through it. It was making us all smelly and change us. It, 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 was, it was shaping us, but no one wanted to talk about it. That is what shame is. 
for an adult. An adult is smelly because of it. An adult is, is fearful that they're being changed because of it. The, the shame is, is this, this feeling of being worthless. No one wants to talk about it. But I literally, I wanted to dive into it because it didn't make sense to me. Not the shame, but why I still feel it. And so I dove into a whole, my whole research was over the imposed shame of the enemy. And that's what my research was, because I wanted, what is this? Like, how can we, who are made holy, righteous, blameless, irreproachable, all of these things, unashamed in him, how do we still feel the opposite? Like, it doesn't make sense. How do I still do the sins that I don't want to do and the things that I do want to do, I don't do? Like, how can I still feel like I'm a sinner who's just a little bit better because I know Jesus? When that's not the truth of the gospel. And so I dove into this, and I, in my research, there was so much connections, and I love making connections. There's so many connections to the prison system, correctional facilities, and shame. In fact, like, I found that uh, this is a lot of research on this. This is really cool. That someone who is a past offender going through a correctional facility they will actually keep back in the system if they only serve their time. In fact, they found the way to ha- allow a, an inmate, a, a person who is a criminal, to overcome that is that they have to overcome shame. They have to check, like, if they still believe themselves to be a criminal, even outside of it, after they've paid their time, they will still do the things of the criminal. And so in that, that correctional, they try to heavily work on for self-forgiveness, the growth of empathy toward others, and it's a man-made way of trying to overcome shame. But it's interesting, I've actually, research shows that the correctional facilities that have faith-based programs have a whole lot less like uh, remediation. They have a whole lot less of people coming back. Why? Because in Christ, the ashamed become unashamed. Now, this is huge. Because the abuse victim will always act like an abuse victim if they think that they're still an abuse victim. The addict will always act like an addict, even if they're not doing the thing anymore, if they have not changed the belief that they're an addict. It's it's, it's huge. Uh, That that change is huge, the change in the belief. And I I say all of that because shame is huge. (laughs) Shame is huge. The reason this is so big and fitting with this is I need you to understand, like, God did not just erase the record that stood against you. And that's it. He didn't just say, that's a clean slate now. Greg, you're good to go. Jordan, you're good to go. He didn't just say, hey, hey, Miss Betty, you're good to go because that's erased. Now live your life. He didn't just say that because that would be this picture. It would be a judge taking forward a convicted criminal and saying, it's okay, all of this means nothing. Go live your life. While the prosecutor can still say, but he did it. Everyone who is affected could still say, but he did it. And they could still say, but he did it. He's shopping at Aldi, and even though the, like, the judge said, like, it's a, your, your record's erased, he could be shopping at Aldi and still someone, hey, stay over here, because he did it. 
Because no matter what the record said, that was cleansed, he still did it, and people just know it wasn't paid for. And also, so those of you who know, the man would keep believing those lies. I still did it. We know from human, human condition that just because you take a child's punishment away doesn't mean they're going to not keep doing the bad thing. See, what happened to us in the gospel, I need you to hear this. What happened to us was not that the father, the judge, didn't just say, you're good to go, you're cleared. What he said is, you are a mess. And the sin that stood against you must be paid. And so it is paid. We're walking in Aldi now, and they say he did it. No, Christ did it. Like literally, he, the, the accusations don't go on me anymore. They go on Christ because his body has my sins. Does that make sense? Like hey, we don't walk, walk Aldi and oops, he did it. No, Christ. And it's until you see that connection that you will keep living as a criminal. And I see this huge because I connect so deeply to that understanding because literally when Paul says, you were bound in your sins, you were in chains, we were all slaves to sin. We were like a prisoner in our own flesh. But Christ has made us alive. Literally, the accuser can't accuse us anymore because we're not just like sinners with a little bit more. We're not just this criminal who's now like a little bit more because we know Jesus. We are conquerors. Actually, what, what the Bible says is what you just said. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so it's this, I am not a sinner who just happens to be saved. In Christ, I am a saint. I am more than a conqueror. That word is hyperized. Like it's, it's not just, you don't just conquer, but now everywhere you walk, there's a ripple effect of victory that happens. Why? Because I connect my death to Christ and I connect my life to him. I connect my death to him and I connect my life to him. As we end, band, you guys can come on up because I have a few powerful things for you. Anyone love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Anyone? Can we just talk about all the voices that they had to deal with every day? The demands? If you don't know the story, like King Nebuchadnezzar of, uh, so you need to hear this, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians Every time the trumpet blared or the lyre played, every time music happened, the demand was that the whole countryside would fall to their knees and praise this golden statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. Outraged. They, they were brought into the king's court, and they said, like, I don't whether, like, our God saves us or not, we're not bowing down. Even more angry, he makes the furnace, which was the punishment, many times hotter. And now, what I love about this is you remember when I talked about what the enemy wants, what the voices want is to disconnect our connection with Christ? 
we don't even see this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their names. That's not their Hebrew names. In fact, if you want to know something really cool, every time someone said Shadrach on a boy named Hananiah, every time someone said, demanded Shadrach do this, the word Shadrach, it means servant of sin. In the Hebrew, literally servant of sin. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. His name was connected with the Lord, but this name that what is demanded of him was connected to sin. This is what the enemy does. The more you connect your life to sin, the less you boldly walk in Christ. But forever, Yahweh has been gracious to me. So I'm not bowing down. It's interesting, Meshach, that means um, draws with force. Shadow of Aku, which is a, a false god. Honestly, what the world demanded of, of, of Meshach is what some of you men are demanded of. Like you have to be strong. You're just going to be a warrior. You have this warrior mindset and you see you're just going to draw with force and you're always going to be like the Peter who cut off an ear. And you think, that's who I am. I'm just going to be angry. I'm going to always battle these things. That wasn't the name. Do you want to know what Michelle means, which was the boy's real name? Shadow of God, who is like God. Literally, Michelle Wherever God goes, I will follow. Because where he walks, I will be his shadow. So I'm not going to bow when Nebuchadnezzar wants me to because I follow God. I am Michelle. I am not, I'm not uh, Meshach. I am Michelle. You see, this is something we actively have to do to silence the voices that demand things of us. I am a child of God. I am a co heir with Christ. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is not who I am. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to those things. My sins have been paid for. And then Abednego. That name means servant of Naboo, the shining one. Literally, servant of Satan. Anyone want that name? Like, ah, look at my baby. His name's servant of Satan. Uh, Everywhere he went, you're going to be oppressed. You're going to not be enough. You're going to have to follow this, this, this place in anger and pain. But the name that he was given is Azariah. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped me. It's beautiful. Those men stood in the fires with Christ because outside of the fires, they knew I'm with Yahweh. Does this make sense? They stood in the flames with Yahweh because they knew outside of the flames, their connection with Yahweh. Some of you, you're scared to death of the fire because you know you have no connection with God. That's a separating factor. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, this. And Ben, you guys can, can join in. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. If Yahweh has been gracious, if you are a shadow of God, if you have been met with his mercy, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Now, I'll tell you what this is not saying. Paul has a good rhetoric right here. What this is not saying is Christ is up here. 
So keep having this elevated perception so that you can be like him. Christ is up here, so keep keep scaling the mountains to be with him. That's not to the Ephesians, he says something a little better. Can you put that? He says, it's the same thing, but a little bit more better words. You've been raised, uh, God has raised us up with Christ and has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So really, when Paul is saying this, he's like, if you've been raised, which has an upward motion, then seek the things that are already upward. Literally, what it's meaning is seek the things that are above ground. That's a very easy way to do it. He put, put that, seek the things that are above ground. Some of you have to actively say, no, that's demanding me to do things below ground. It's not who I am anymore. That's dead. I've been raised, so I will seek what is above, above ground, above my death, because I've been raised with him. I'm seated with Christ right now. Some of you are sitting in here. You're seated with Christ. That means when you look, you can look and decide to look below ground at all of your insecurities. Or you can decide to look above ground. God, you're here. What are you asking me to do? Where are you at work that I may join in? Seek the things that are above ground. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.